Welcome to an all-new Chasing the Word on Compassion Radio. It's time for a brand new Compassion Radio's Chasing the Word series on the book of Philemon. Welcome back to the microphone. Thank you. It's good to be back. Every new launch of a study demands of us that we figure out how to approach the scripture. Mm -hmm. And of course, this is another very short chapter of the Bible that happens to be the entire book. Mm -hmm. And because of that, we could get through that thing with one read and be done. But every (laughs) every time we've jumped into the word, it's been one of those, wow, there's so much here. This book in particular, we've seen throughout history, has been used in a lot of ways that are good and a lot of ways that are bad Mm -hmm. to proof text, which means to justify some other thing you already believe in or already are acting on. Mm -hmm. And you're using this book as a backstop to what is in your own personal interest. We're going to kind of dissect some of those things in the weeks to come. But I want to spend some time to talk about the general and overarching themes of the book and actually read through that entire chapter. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to note here that Anytime you read scripture, anytime you do Bible study with another person, it's easy to read through and say, oh, yeah, that's a lovely text, and I think this is how it applies to my life, and to go through it quickly. As we noted with Jude, it's not so easy if you really want to dig into the Word, if you really want to ask God what He wants you to know about the scripture. That is what our approach is. We want to know, really know, what God is trying to reveal to us individually and together, corporately, through the scriptures. The way I would describe it is that we are originalists. We want to know what was going on at the time the book was being written. But we're not literalists Mm -hmm. in that we look at a word and say, oh, it means exactly the same thing now as it did then. And we're looking through a translation which may Mm -hmm. or may not be wholly accurate to what the intent was of the language at the time. It's difficult for all the translators over all these centuries to figure out what were they really meaning by each one of those words and how they fit together. Is it a turn of phrase? Is it a pithy saying? That's not an easy thing for translators to do over all of this history. But they do their level best to do that. Mm -hmm. And they pray through that thing. I mean, most of the Bible translators Translators have been very diligent and faithful people. Right. And we trust them to give us an honest account in our language of what the Bible was really saying at that time. Absolutely. We've got to start, though, with who's talking, what are they talking about, and who are they talking to? Yeah. And why are they talking about these things? Mm-hmm. If we can at least get a general idea of what's happening in each of those areas, we send a much better chance of saying, oh, I can see how it applies to my life mm-hmm. now. And this type of study is available for anybody. It's relatively easy to jump into the Word and to do a little bit of research. Like you were looking up where did this person live and got a whole broad picture of where the place was and what the life could have been like that he lived in that place. I think that it's easy for us to do that. We just have to be intentional about it. Exactly. And for those who have been fortunate enough in their lives to actually go follow the paths of the saints in their ministry, of course, the Pauline Travels, his three Mm -hmm. tours throughout the Roman Empire— are a big hit with New Testament readers and scholars. They love to go see the places where he actually walked because those things are mentioned in the book of Acts and they're mentioned by the name in the books of the letters he wrote to these places. So the book of Colossians is about the people in Colossae. He wrote it from somewhere else, probably in Rome or in Philippi, to back to the church in Colossae. But one of the head people in there was probably Philemon. Mm -hmm. And it was a Roman outpost and therefore under Roman rule and law. 
and it was the anchor for the Roman Empire in that part of Turkey, which is, you know, obviously halfway between the Holy Land that we would think of as Israel and back to Rome. So that big Asia Minor province was a big thing for Paul and for the other apostles. So we know that Philemon is probably a Roman who's living in Colossae, which is in the middle of Turkey now, and had a certain amount of privilege because he had a lot of possessions, he had some serious wealth, and he had some influence, if not an official position, Mm -hmm. in the Roman Empire. And because of that, he had all the benefits of being a Roman citizen and having the Roman law stand behind him Mm -hmm. as a citizen of Rome. We also know through what Paul writes to him that he must have had a church in his home. Yeah. He had a large enough home to host a small group, we would call them in today's church talk, maybe even home church of quite a few people. So Yeah, we think of home church now in the West. You know, there's a kind of a democratization of property and expectations for a standard of living. We have things nowadays which would be considered extraordinary luxuries back then, things like running water and heat and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But the amount of space that we occupy... It's in the thousands of square feet for an entire family, and America is a fairly narrow band of what's considered normal housing, and therefore our notion of what a house church can be is pretty much determined upon what we see around us saying, oh, that's what a house is. You could fit maybe 20, 50, 100 people in there if you're really pushing for a party. Mm -hmm. But back then, there were people of vast wealth that lived next door to people who were in the gutters. And when the church was being formed, if you found a patron, someone that actually had space available, it could be ballroom-sized. Mm-hmm. It could be as big as a church sanctuary might be now in their home. So it's quite possible in places like Colossae, where there's a lot of wealth, that someone like Philemon might very well have a pavilion, a large, large gathering hall, where the church could grow. Yeah. And hundreds, if not thousands of people could meet there on a regular basis. Yeah. Well, honey, let's read the book of Philemon, and then let's talk about what we're going to talk about <laughs> yeah, fair enough. as we do this study. And you're reading from the Good News Translation because it's readability. Yeah. And we'll, of course, jump around to some other translations or editions, including our take on some of these verses that you know, help us understand better the passion that's behind Paul's appeal to Philemon. From Paul, a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus... And from our brother Timothy, to our friend and fellow worker Philemon, and the church that meets in your house, and our sister Aphia, and our fellow soldier Archippus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Brother Philemon, every time I pray, I mention you and give thanks to my God, for I hear of your love for all of God's people and the faith you have in the Lord Jesus. My prayer is that our fellowship with you as believers will bring about a deeper understanding of every blessing which we have in our life in union with Christ. Your love, dear brother, has brought me great joy and much encouragement. You have cheered the hearts of all of God's people. For this reason, I could be bold enough, as your brother in Christ, to order you to do what should be done. But because I love you, I make a request instead. I do this even though I am Paul, the ambassador of Christ Jesus, and at present also a prisoner for his sake. So I make a request to you on behalf of Onesimus, who is my own son in Christ, for while in prison I have become his spiritual father. At one time he was of no use to you, but now he is useful, both to you and to me. I am sending him back to you now, and with him goes my heart." I would like to keep him here with me while I am in prison for the gospel's sake so that he could help me in your place. However, I do not want to force you to help me. Rather, I would like for you to do it of your own free will. So I will not do anything unless you agree. 
It may be that Onesimus was away from you for a short time so that you might have him back for all time. And now he is not just a slave, but much more than a slave. He is a dear brother in Christ. How much he means to me and how much more he will mean to you, both as a slave and as a brother in the Lord. So if you think of me as your partner, welcome him back just as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to my account. Here, I will write this with my own hand. I, Paul, will pay you back. I should not have to remind you, of course, that you owe your very self to me. So, my brother, please do me this favor for the Lord's sake. As a brother in Christ, cheer me up. I am sure as I write this that you will do what I ask. In fact, I know that you will do even more. At the same time, get a room ready for me, because I hope that God will answer the prayers of all of you and give me back to you. Epaphras, who is in prison with me for the sake of Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. And so do my co-workers, Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. What's fascinating to me is that we read this just as a letter about introduction or reintroduction and just take care of things. There's a huge backstory going on here yeah. that's not mentioned. It's implied. Mm -hmm. And I think the best teachers of this particular kind of scripture have spent time exploring what did the story really mean? What was happening mm -hmm. before this letter was written? Mm -hmm. And why now? Mm -hmm. The details are pretty easy to sort out. Paul had been in Colossia. He had built the church there. He had won over people like Philemon. And they're following the way now. Mm -hmm. They believe. And they're acting on their faith to do that. And Philemon has a slave named Onesimus mm -hmm. at that time, mm -hmm. which means that he was in the household of Philemon while Paul was there. Yeah. So Paul leaves, continues his missionary journey, and ends up in prison, probably in Rome at this point. So he's stuck. And who shows up out of the blue but Onesimus? Mm -hmm. He had run away from Philemon, probably. He wasn't just sent as an emissary, mm -hmm. but for some reason, he bolts and goes and tracks down Paul. Well, I get the impression that he was a runaway slave, for sure. I read in a couple of different sources that he probably stole money from Philemon, bought passage to Rome, and then probably was arrested and put in prison. Interesting scenario. Yeah. Again, these are speculations, yeah. but they're based upon real happenings and the way the law worked at the time. Because why would Onesimus have enough money in his pocket to do this? Well, it's possible that he is in a position kind of like Joseph was in Potiphar's house, where he's given responsibility as the business manager of the household, and he has a lot of latitude for how he chooses to spend the money or manage the accounts. And perhaps Philemon doesn't necessarily live there full-time. He's maybe a traveling politician or something else in his business or legal dealings as an official. Right. So Onesimus himself may be head of household while Philemon's out of town. Mm -hmm. And whatever reason, he feels like, I got to go. Mm-hmm. I got to go to Paul. Or maybe there's some big problem, morally, ethically, whatever is happening back in the Colossa that tells Onesimus, I got to get this figured out and solve it. So he chooses his own path and just takes off to deal with it with Paul. Well, or you goes think more advice. highly of Onesimus than I do. I <laughs> okay. just think he's a runaway slave. He stole money and he got arrested. <laughs> That's basically what I'm thinking here, because we have no reason to believe that Onesimus intentionally went to Paul. Compassion Radio will continue to keep bringing you encouragement from the Word, inspiring stories from the front lines of faith, 
and awesome opportunities to make a difference for the kingdom around the world. But we need your help right now to continue doing just that. Please take a moment today to consider how you might help us to accomplish our unique media ministry and mission. Remember, friends, Compassion Radio is always a coalition of the willing. Are you willing to help get out God's good news stories of the kingdom really living the gospel in the 21st century? Oh, I hope so. Thank you, friends, for standing with Compassion Radio during these times of great change to our normal life. Of course, there's nothing normal about our situation, but there's also nothing normal about the kind of faith and power we find in Jesus. We have a very special giving opportunity for a special offering to the church in Ukraine. And I beg of you, send your best gift today to support the Christian family there. Just visit our website, CompassionRadio.com, or call our toll-free order line, 1-800-868-2478. Our mailing address is Compassion Radio, P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. Reach out to us whatever way works for you. And now, back to our discussion. Or maybe there's some big problem, morally, ethically, whatever is happening back in the Colossa, that tells Onesimus, i got to get this figured out and solve it. So he chooses his own path and just takes off to deal with it with Paul. Well, you think more highly of Onesimus than I do. I (laughs) just think he's a runaway slave, he stole money, and he got arrested. (laughs) That's basically what I'm thinking here. Because we have no reason to believe that Onesimus intentionally went to Paul. Of course, your scenario, I suppose, we have no reason to believe that he didn't. Well, let's think about him. Why would he go toward where Paul is? Well, maybe he doesn't know precisely where Paul is. That might be a divine appointment itself. Well, that's what I'm saying. I I guess I tend to read scripture more in that way that, oh, everything is divinely appointed in some way and... We see the orchestration after the music. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so So, Onesimus is wherever Paul is, and for whatever his motivations for going there, now they're kind of stuck together, and something happens. Onesimus, who knows who Paul is, either has to look him up because he's stuck with him in prison, or looks him up intentionally because he wants a question, answer, or some help, or something is Mm -hmm. going on, where he's out. So whether he actually committed a crime, according to Roman law, by leaving the house of Philemon and absconding with his money, Mm -hmm. or whether he is being accused of a crime that he may or may not have committed because he's gone and people are gossiping about him, there's probably a big break or a potential break with the relationship between Onesimus and Philemon, who is his master. Well, and the, the reason I think that he is a runaway slave and stole money is because Paul specifically says, Whatever he owes you, I will pay it back. I read the issue of accusation. Whether it's proven or not, Paul is saying, I stand for him. I'll I'll, I'll co-sign anything you want. And when he says, look, I'm signing this myself, he's basically saying, I'm writing a check, Mm. just like we do. You put your signature on a check to prove it's you that gave it. So the money gets drawn from your account because you put your own imprimatur there and said, Mm. I'm good for it. It's coming down to money here. I'm literally willing to back up any of his debts. How Paul intends to take care of deaths if they're outrageous, who knows? But the guy himself has a huge amount of faith, and God has always provided for him. him, And he's been willing to work hard as a tent maker and not have to be dependent upon those who can't afford to have him there as preacher. Mm -hmm. He knows that when God puts him in a position of a relationship and mentorship and building the church, God's going to take care of him. Mm -hmm. So he is not worried in the least, I think, about his ability to pay off any debts because God's backing him up. He wants Philemon to understand that I am really serious about this. I have come to love this man. 
he showed up here. However God brought them together is almost irrelevant to me, but just that they are together in this, that God has brought them together and Paul has become his spiritual father is a big deal. And Paul is like, I love this man. He is my son in the Lord. Let's talk about that time then. However, Esmus found Paul again, and Paul has now got Esmus in his hands. At that point, something seemed to have transpired that's not just about catching up and Mm -hmm. renewing a relationship, but something happens in Onesimus. Either the guilt of having run away or the desperation of coming to somebody he trusts or something happened where he's thrown himself in the hands of Paul. And Paul receives him, but doesn't let him escape his identity yet. Mm -hmm. That's a big point I think we're going to have to discuss in the next few weeks. He regards him as still in relationship with Philemon somehow. Mm-hmm. He's not trying to create an underground railroad to keep Onesimus out of Philemon's life or not let him know where he is or send him on to someplace else. Something about Paul's intention here is to restore relationship, which is hard to conceive in a modern sense because the kid's a slave. He's owned chattel by somebody else. And yet this scripture exists because Paul decided to write a letter to the slaveholder about the slave who is gone. Mm -hmm. That's why it's been so problematic for the church over centuries. And it's been used as proof texting for all kinds of evil over years. So we are left with this transaction. Something happened which turned Onesimus into a follower of Christ, a real believer, Mm -hmm. someone who was willing to go wherever God would send him, even if that meant back into slavery. And Paul has now emerged from just being somebody that Onesimus may have known or respected into being someone that cared for him deeply and is not setting Onesimus up for failure or for torture. He's building him up into mm-hmm. something that's new. Well, it helps that Paul knows who Onesimus is going back to. Yeah. And, and appealing to his better appealing angels, Appealing to Philemon as a friend yeah. and as a brother in Christ and as a co-worker in Christ. In some ways, that makes it more palatable for Paul to hmm. say, Onesimus, I am confident in sending you back to this place. I mean, who knows what he would have said to Onesimus if Philemon was a known horrible person yeah. and mistreated his slaves terribly. We don't know that. We don't have any other information other than he was a slaveholder. So we are free to imagine the circumstances. We are not free to imagine the actual words spoken or replace them. So we have Mm -hmm. to be very careful about imagining scenarios which seem reasonable Mm -hmm. about why Onesimus is no longer with Philemon. Mm -hmm. And from those scenarios, imagine the subtext, the nuance of what Paul is trying to say in his letter to Philemon and Mm -hmm. what Philemon's reception of that letter might be. Mm -hmm. Because we can see ourselves in those situations if we allow ourselves to be. Let's talk about the themes that we want to cover over the next few weeks. And they're kind of general concepts that if we just studied this book strictly on this one idea, we can get a huge amount of information and I think discernment and wisdom from the book. And for me, I see that in terms of slavery, economics, family dynamics, and kingdom identity. Mm -hmm. When you were reading through it, what jumped out for you? I think one of the things that I have been focused on in my own life right now that jumped out to me from this scripture is the idea of mentorship. Hmm and someone that walks alongside of you maybe a couple of steps ahead that shows you how to live a godly life or that shows you where the pitfalls can Mm. be. I see that happening here in a couple of ways. I see that with Paul and Onesimus, Mm -hmm. but I also see that with Paul and Philemon. Right. 
And then we see at the end of the chapter, all of these tagalongs that are with Paul in his journey that we read in many of the epistles, all of these people, Luke and John Mark and Demas and all of these guys. We know some stories about these guys, too. He rejected John Mark at one time, and then now he's back in good graces with him. And Demas, as well, was sent away. So we know that Paul is all about bringing people into the fold that— At this point in his life, at least, yeah. that have wronged him or others. He seems like a hothead early in his his ministry and that he had a short fuse. It seems like that. So that the restoration comes through the gentle discipling of other apostles, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like um, Barnabas bringing Paul back to John Mark eventually. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of relationships throughout the apostles themselves, which iron sharpening iron, they figured a way to sharpen themselves and also to take off those rough edges, which were causing damage. So at this point in his life, Paul is completely at the mercy of those who would have mercy on him, Mm -hmm. including Philemon and Onesimus. Mm -hmm. When he chooses to send Onesimus back to Philemon, he's losing something very valuable to him where he is, and Mm -hmm. that is someone that would check on him every day, would visit with him. Somehow, Onesimus is now free to travel back to Philemon. Right. In that situation, Paul is giving up an asset for the purpose of something greater. Mm -hmm. What that greater is is something we need to dig into as we go through this Mm -hmm. series. So there's obvious issues here of slavery. There's obvious issues of social justice and economics that are at play here. What does it mean to be equitable and just in your dealings with Mm -hmm. people? There's also the family dynamics. You talk about mentorship and fathership. You know, we don't know that Paul ever was married. It's possible he was. It's conceivable he never did marry. Mm-hmm. But we don't know about a wife or family situation for him. But we do know that he described himself in relationship with in very personal ways, not just, I am a spiritual, like your translation said, a spiritual father to him, but mm-hmm. I am truly his, his dad now. Mm-hmm. So how do I send my son to somebody else? I've got to trust that they're going to take care of my son. Yeah. He's also, in some ways, referring to Philemon as a son. I mean, he came to the faith because of Paul. But at the same time, he's a very powerful and industrious and wealthy person. So in some ways, they're at least peers in the world. Yeah. Well, he calls him a partner in ministry. Right. It also asks the question of what is family dynamics like in the kingdom? Your identity, when you step in, are you a son? Are you a daughter? Are you a Mm -hmm. granddaughter? Are you a grandson? Are you a grandfather? Are you an uncle, an aunt, a brother, a sister? At what level does a family and kingdom identity intersect? Mm -hmm. So those are issues, I think, that are still absolutely imperative to talk about in the 21st century because we have a whole new bevy of issues in this generation of what it means to be in a family. Right. Is there a culture war to be fought, or is there a way to fall back into the thing that God has always provided for us, that we don't need to worry about the world, we need to worry about how we, the family, are going to treat each other the way God designed it? Mm -hmm. And is the design for the kingdom the same or different than the roadmap that's laid out from Genesis on about what the family looks like? Well, I think even in the Old Testament, there are hints of that at question. Is there one kind of family, or has God got his kind of family, and all the other ones kind of come into that? Mm -hmm. Those are bigger issues, too. Yeah. I want to cover at least those four Mm -hmm. in the weeks to come. Yeah, that sounds good. Any last words for this particular episode? Well, I think this is going to take us a little longer than we anticipated. That's okay. (laughs) That's okay. But I'm excited to jump into Philemon, because I don't think I've ever really studied deeply into Philemon. I know I've read it many times, reading through the Bible or just point and choose a yeah. book to read. I'm thinking it's going to be very insightful for us. You know, a lot of times in our Christian development, we're challenged to spend time with the Word repetitively. 
Yeah. And not just to read it once and move on or mm-hmm. spend time with one verse, move mm-hmm. on to the next verse, but read the book numerous times. Pray the book. And pray the book and speak the words back to God and say, what do you have for me in these scriptures, mm-hmm. these verses? And ask God to start giving shape to it over time. So I do believe that repetitively going through this book is going to be helpful for us to spend time with it, to be with the word, not just to figure the word out. Mm -hmm. And that will help us, I think, understand more about why this letter has such power and why it's in our canon, why it's in the Bible itself and not just an apocryphal note. Right. And that, I think, is where we're going to tie it off today. And that first ribbon tied around the book of Philemon. I invite your friends to spend time getting familiar with the book of Philemon again yourself. When we come back around to it next week, we'll go deeper into verse passages and the theme that we just talked about and take them chapter by chapter of <laughs> themes. So we look forward to that time spent with you in this book over the weeks to come. Remember that every one of our studies will have Bible study notes section. And beginning next week, we'll have verse by verse in a modern edition of English that comes from our hearts. So we'll have that to compare with the other scriptures as well. Thanks again. you have given in the past, and that's why you're hearing my voice today. With so much changing in technology and culture, we need you more than ever, so please keep on with us. Maybe even consider a monthly gift of any size through our vision team. Thanks for joining us today. We're focused right now on the current crisis in and around Ukraine. Please give generously, even sacrificially, right away. 1-800-868-2478. Mail us at P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. Text the word COMPASSION to 53445 or give online at CompassionRadio.com. God bless, and we'll see you tomorrow.